I don't know if you have, have ever felt really lost before, if you've ever felt emotionally lost or physically lost or, or spiritually lost. Uh, on the 23rd of June, 2018, um, a group of young boys, 12 young boys between the age of 11 and 16, went missing after their football, soccer, football training in northern Thailand. And they, along with their 25-year-old coach, went to go and explore a nearby cave system in northern Thailand. Um, however, flash flooding trapped the boys uh, 2.5 miles in from the cave entrance. And they were lost uh, inside those caves, trapped on a dark, muddy bank for nine days until a team of international rescue divers were able to traverse the really difficult conditions to find the boys. When they were finally all safely brought out from the cave, they had been inside in the pitch black for 17 days. Can you imagine what it must have been like to feel that kind of loss? Well, uh, I'm just give you that story, though, to help us to think this morning about what we want to be talking about, this idea of being lost and found. This morning we're going to look at a story that Jesus told and uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke which is in the New New Testament part of the Bible. Uh, If you want to have it open you're really welcome to do that in Luke chapter 15 and this is a story uh, that Jesus tells about two people who are lost and how they get found. Um, One of the two characters that we're going to read about this morning um, gets lost and looks for all the answers for how to be found again by breaking rules, uh, by uh, being particularly bad, being particularly religious in breaking rules. The other one tries to find all the answers to life, the universe, and everything to get found by being particularly good, by being particularly religious in rule following. And uh, we're going to see what Jesus has to say about what it looks like when we're lost, how do we get found? How do we find the answers to life, the universe, and everything? How do we find the answer to the question, is there more to life than this? And that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Luke chapter 15, 11 to 32, and the reading will be on the screen for us today. Hi, Vintage. My name is Mark. And I'm here to read today's passage, which is from the NIV. We'll be reading Luke 15, 11 through 31. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And that's the verses. Just uh, wanted to say a little thank you to, that's Mark, who read the reading this morning, and Debbie, who did the prayers of the people earlier. Uh, they're two members of our community, and, and part of the reason they can't be here this morning is both of them are going through chemotherapy for really serious forms of cancer. And so I just wanted to uh, shout them out and say thank you to them, because that's really amazing that they took the time out this week to record those videos um, for us. So... In the story that we just heard read, there are these two sons, two sons who live in a wealthy family, uh, a land-owning family. Uh, The two sons have everything going for them. Their futures are secure. But this younger son, particularly, that we read about at the beginning of the passage, he's not happy. He's angry. He's cross. Maybe it's because he's the younger son. He feels like he's slightly inferior, that he's not treated jointly and fairly like his older brother is. Maybe because he just looks out at the world outside and thinks, man, if only I could get out. If only I didn't have to be under the rules of my family. If I did, only I didn't have people to tell me what to do, then life would be better. Grass for him seemed much greener on the other side. And so uh, the younger son, he goes to his dad, and he asks him a question which is totally unheard of. Whilst the father is still alive, he asks him not for a couple of hundred bucks so he can throw a party, not even a couple of thousand bucks so that he can go off and have a vacation, but he actually asks the father for his whole inheritance right there and right now. Now, that would have been a totally unheard of question to ask in that time for two reasons. The first is is that the father was a farmer. He was a landowner. His whole wealth, his whole uh, money and possessions was tied up in the land that he had. In order for the father to give the son his inheritance, it would have meant literally selling off half of his whole property, selling off his crops, selling off his land, selling off his animals, firing a whole bunch of his staff. But in fact, the question is more outrageous even than that because of the culture they lived in at the time. Uh, Kenneth Bailey, who is an expert in Middle Eastern culture, he, he wrote this. He said, For over 15 years, I have been asking people from all walks of life in the Middle East, from Morocco to India, from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implications of a son's request for his inheritance whilst the father is still living. The answer has always been emphatically the same, and the conversation runs as follows. Has anybody ever made such a request in your village? Never. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. If anybody ever did make such a request, what would happen? The father would beat him 
of course. Why? Because the request means that the son wants the father to die. You see, for the son to ask for his inheritance right there and now is basically for the son to say to the father, I want your stuff. I want the good things that you can give me, but I don't want you. I don't want your rule in my life. I don't want your rules. I don't want your care for me. I don't want your relationship with me. It would be better off if you were not here and I wish that you were dead. Like the first people who heard this story from Jesus would have been shocked at the audacity of the question. But like amazingly, as Jesus goes on, the father doesn't beat the son. He doesn't turn him away. In fact, the father grants the son's requests sells off his land, sells off his crops, sells off everything he has so that he can give half of his entire property and his wealth to the sun. And the sun heads off into the distance. So I want to think with you this morning about that younger son in the story. Um, I don't know, it doesn't tell us, Jesus doesn't tell us where the son goes to. I have in my mind that he probably went to Vegas because that's where people went, probably not 2,000 years ago. But I don't know what the 2,000 year ago version of Vegas was, but the son, he goes. He's looking for the answer to is there more to life than this? And so he throws these incredible parties. He looks for meaning and significance and happiness. He looks for it in food and drink. He looks for it in sex, and he hires like prostitutes. He looks for it in social status to be like the most popular guy in the party scene and wherever he went. He looks for it in like self-expression and freedom and the ability to do anything he wants to do. I have this kind of picture in my mind, a little bit like the film The Hangover. And if anyone's ever seen that film, you're all much too holy to watch a film like The Hangover, I'm sure. Don't go home and watch it, but it's, it's probably a little bit like it would have been a crazy scenario. But it isn't long before the son realizes that this doesn't really work. This strategy to be happy by going crazy doesn't work. The money runs out, as money always eventually does. The friends, the prostitutes, they're not interested when the parties stop happening. He is left literally sitting in a pigsty, asking the question, is there more to life than this? Now, this story was written 2,000 years ago, but isn't this a story that could have been written in our generation, like in our time? Isn't it true that so many of us, we look for the answers to the more to life than this in leisure, in pleasure, in treasure, see what I did there, in self-determination? We think, man, the answer to life is, could we just get more? Could we live more out there, more crazy, have more stuff? Then, then we will be happy. But Bernard Levin, who was a famous author, but not a Christian, he wrote this. He said, countries like ours are sometimes full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as happy family, and yet can lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation understanding nothing but the fact that there isn't a hole inside them. And however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars or television sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges, it aches. I don't know if you've ever found that to be true in your life. When I was, um, when I was in my late 20s, I ran a bunch of businesses. I was fairly wealthy. I had everything that I thought I might need. I'd married the woman of my dreams. 
and she's still here serving in V Kids this morning. Uh, we'd bought our first home, and, and I was so excited. I was like, this is everything that I think I need. I was free. We had these great vacations. We went all over the place. But deep down, I was anxious. I was lost. I, I was hurting. Like I was standing in the middle of it thinking, I've got everything you're supposed to need, and it just doesn't seem to work. I couldn't sleep. I was supposed to be like running these businesses, and I couldn't work properly. I couldn't concentrate because I had this huge hole inside me, which was saying, there's something more. There's got to be more. This stuff just doesn't seem to work. And so I figured out that there must be something that I needed to buy that I had not bought yet. So inside our new house, um, I thought, I need better relaxation. I need better le- leisure. And so I persuaded my beautiful bride to allow me to buy some massive lazy boy sofas. Anyone else into lazy boys? I think it's a bit like, it's a bit like last decade, isn't it? But had this huge, great black lazy boy. So I was, man, if I could go home and after a long day's work and I could sit in a lazy boy and put my drink in the arm and pull the lever like that and just chill out in the evenings, that will sort out the problem that is in my life. And so we bought these huge lazy boys and we took them to, to take the door off to get them inside. And I sat down on these lazy boys, and for about 10 minutes, it was the answer to everything. And then I discovered it doesn't seem to quite work. So I thought, okay, what I must need is I must need a bigger TV, because a lazy boy is all about watching a TV, right? And so I need to get rid of the four-foot-deep TV that I have and get a four-foot-wide TV, an HD TV, because that will be the answer to everything I need in my life. So I got this huge TV, and I persuaded my wife to get rid of all the decorations in the living room and to put it above the fireplace, like right in the center of the room. And I thought, it doesn't, I don't even care what I'm going to watch on this TV, because now it has 1,920 pixels this way, and it has 1,080 pixels this way, which is like many, is that 2 million pixels? I don't know, something like that. And, and I'll even watch paint dry on this TV, because it's so awesome. This is the answer to what I need in my life. And so I got the TV, we plugged it in, I sat there for about 10 minutes, and then it was just a TV, and it didn't seem to kind of work. And so I thought, wow, maybe I just need better vacations. And so Laura and I are persuaded that let's go on all these amazing vacations. Or let's, maybe we need a new group of friends. Or maybe we need to be closer to our family. And we went through all this process for, for a few years. And I just thought there's got to be more. Because everything I went for, everything that a commercial told me that I should get, it kind of worked for about 10 minutes. And then it just didn't work anymore. I just thought there's got to be more. All the leisure all the pleasure, all the treasure that I could possibly think of bringing into my life didn't seem to work. Henry Nouwen, who's a spiritual guru, he says, I am like the younger son. Every time I look for unconditional love from things that simply cannot give it to me. The younger son, like me in my 20s, was left thinking, is there more to life than this? So the younger son didn't have it. Maybe the older son might have had it. Well, Jesus was telling this story to a group of religious leaders, some of the most religious, law-abiding leaders on the planet. And they would have heard this story and gone, yeah, of course, Jesus. Like, happiness, life isn't found in doing crazy, out-of-control, leisure, pleasure, treasure things. No. You get happy. You get life when you rule keep, when you are law-abiding. If you perform well enough, if you do good enough in life, that's how you get the thing that you're looking for. 
Well, then Jesus, he introduces us to this older brother. I don't know how many of you are older brothers or older sisters in the room. I think some of us are almost like spiritually older brothers and older sisters by our mentality. I'm actually both uh, in the mentality of an older brother, but I also actually am an older brother. Um, and the older brother thing is kind of pertinent as well. I don't know if you can recognize it in the story, but uh, whilst the younger brother is chugging beer, whilst he's off throwing parties, whilst he's getting high, says in verse 25, meanwhile, the older son is in the field. He is the older brother who is doing everything right. He's, maybe he's got his qualifications. He is running the family business. He is being disciplined. He is performing to the top of his ability. He is trying to impress everybody around him, maybe so that one day he could be the manager, the ruler of the family business. And on the surface, well, that seems like a sensible thing to do. But I wonder if you are an older brother or an older sister, you recognize this kind of idea. I've got to perform. As long as I keep up the performances, then everything will be okay. Do the right thing. In fact, not just do the right thing, be seen to be doing the right thing. No pain, no gain, no such thing as a free lunch. As older brothers, we can find ourselves like climbing up the ladders of life. And we end up thinking, don't we, man, if if I could just get to the next bit of the ladder, then I will be happy. If I can just get to the place that I am not right now, if I can just be slightly more famous, slightly more successful, slightly more wealthy, if I can just climb up the housing ladder, or here in LA, if I can move to Nashville so I could actually get on the housing ladder, or if I can climb up the career ladder, or if I can climb up the social ladder or the educational ladder, if I can just get a little bit higher, then that will fill the emptiness, the brokenness that's deep inside of my soul. And so we try to climb. The older brothers, we try to climb. And two things happen. Um, Either we don't get very far up the ladder, hey, I wanted to be a rock star or a sports star when I was a kid, so I didn't, I didn't get far up my ladder, but I, you know, we, get, we get climbing up the ladder and we realize that we run out of ability or we run out of opportunity. And what happens is we get desperate, we get sad, we, we feel lonely, we feel lost, we feel like a failure. Or the other thing happens is that we do keep on climbing, we keep on going up until we get to the very top of the ladder. And then we figure out that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. That there's nothing at the top that we were hoping for. I read a story recently of a a very famous judge. He was the top judge in the United Kingdom for a long time, like the equivalent of the Supreme Court. And he spent his whole life trying to climb up this ladder through his career until he got to the pinnacle of the legal profession in the United Kingdom. And yet he wrote in his memoirs, he said, The day I became a high court judge was the day I started drinking. Because it was the day that I figured out that there was nothing there. I'd worked my whole life for nothing. Jim Carrey, the genius that is Jim Carrey, he says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they could see that it's not the answer. Those are challenging words. You see, actually, in this older brother scenario, things on the inside are often not quite what they look like on the outside. In verse 28, when the younger brother comes back to the family farm near the end of the story, the older brother, he erupts. 
he erupts in this diatribe of anger and disrespect to his father. It's actually kind of ugly on the inside because we get a glimpse as to what's going on in his heart. Just sometimes, you know, although our performances might look good on the outside, what's going on on the inside can be different. You see, when you build your life on performance and on success, it actually doesn't always lead to peace and rest and joy and happiness. It actually leads to exhaustion because we're just constantly trying to jump through the next hoops. We feel this inner sense of shame because ultimately we feel like we're a failure because we're just not as good as the person next to us. And so we do the only thing that we can possibly do, which is to judge the people around us. Man, you are not as good as me and I'm going to make sure that everybody knows that you're a failure because when, I think that when people think you're a failure, they will know that I am a success and we find ourselves judging others. There must be more to life than this, says the older brother. Now, I'm sure you guys didn't come to church this morning just to be depressed. And don't worry, this is not a depressing end to the story. Because in fact, Jesus gives us the answer to the, is there more to life than this? And he gives it to us right in the middle of the story. Says in verse 17, the younger son comes to his senses. Maybe in a different translation, it might have said the younger son finds the answer. There he is, like sitting at rock bottom. Maybe he's literally sitting in a pigsty, in a pig pen, looking after these pigs. So hungry, he doesn't even have anything to eat, not even the pig food. And he thinks, hold on a minute. I've done all this running. I've done all this stuff, but I haven't found what I'm looking for. Now, what if I was to just go back to my father? And he figures, well, I can't go back to my dad and say, hey, can I be your son again? Because, because there's no way that the father is ever going to allow him to be the son again. But he thinks, well, my, my father's servants, they've got some stuff. Like, they, at least they have food and clothes and things. I don't even have food and clothes. He's sitting at rock bottom. He thinks, so I'm going to take a journey. I'm going to take a journey back to my father. And so he, he sets off. We don't know how many miles. We don't know if it's tens or hundreds of miles. But he journeys from the foreign land back to his father's estate. And can you imagine the questions that he must have had in his mind? Like, what's, what's going on? Like, will my dad accept me? Will he beat me? Will I just be rejected? What if my older brother, he just mocks me and shames me for everything that I've done in my life? But the son, he just keeps approaching. And as he approaches the father's estate, something beautiful, something astonishing, something wonderful happens. It says in Luke 15, 20, which we heard read a few minutes ago, Uh, It says this, So the son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. You see, the father, he, he isn't like just given up. He hasn't walked away. The father hasn't moved on with his life. No, the father is waiting. He's outside his house looking into the distance thinking, one day maybe my son will come back. Maybe one day it's going to be okay. Maybe we're going to have a relationship again. And so he looks out into the distance and into the distance one day as he's waiting, he sees his son on the horizon. And he does this thing which no wealthy, respectable Middle Eastern man would have done. It says here, the father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. You were not allowed to run in that culture if you were a respectable man. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. 
There's no condemnation. There's no shame. In fact, it's just like the father. I can see these kind of like robes flailing, these sandals flying off as he charges down the hill. He gets to his son and there's just like sweat and snot and there's kind of like slobber and kiss and there's just this massive great embrace of his son because the one thing has happened, which is that his son has returned and it's the thing that he wanted more than anything else. The son, he doesn't find judgment. He finds acceptance. He finds love. He finds kindness and forgiveness. Now, it's a beautiful story, but of course, if Jesus told this story to us, he told it to us for a reason. And it's because it's a picture. It's a picture of our lives. You see, the father is God in the story. We are the sons in some way. And I wonder, as you've heard this story, I wonder like, where you recognize yourself in the story. I wonder if you see this idea of an invitation from the father back to us. You see, when the son goes back to the father, he finds out that the father, God, he's not condemning. He's compassionate. The, the father is not as one who's going to shame us and judge us. Actually, what does the father do? He showers the son with love. He throws a party for the son. He finds out that the father is not judging but generous, that he is accepted just the way he is. The son didn't have to clean himself up, get himself together, and then present his case to the father. That's not how it works. No, what happens is the father just embraces the son in all of his smell, in all of his mess, in all of his ruin and his mistakes. He realizes that he is loved purely because he is the son. And that's what God would say to you and to me this morning. That is how God feels about every single one of us. God loves you because you are his child. God loves you in all of your pride and your success and your desire to climb ladders. God loves you in your messes and in your failures and your faults and all the things that you've messed up today. God's invitation to you and me today is in this simple invitation. If you want to find the answer to life, the universe, and everything, it's found like this. Come home. Come back, my child. I don't know this morning where you feel like you have been. Maybe you have been off doing the crazy party thing and you're figuring out it's not worked too well. Maybe you've been desperately trying to be successful and get it all together and you found out it hasn't worked. Well, God's invitation to you this morning is just simply this. Would you come and be in relationship with me? Would you take a journey back to me because I am waiting for you. I'm not waiting to judge you. I'm not waiting to condemn you. I'm not waiting to tell you how to sort your life out. I'm simply waiting to be in a relationship with you again this morning. That's what God longs for. Now, you may have, like the younger son, so many questions. Like, wow, man, what if I go near that Christianity thing? What if, what if it is literally full of older brothers who want to judge me and my lifestyle? Or is, it just, is the God going to judge me when I get near him? Or is it going to be full of rules and regulations? Well, I want to invite you this morning to take that journey and promise you that none of those things are true. We would love here at Vintage to invite you, particularly if you know, that you're new this morning, we'd love to invite you to take the journey uh, with us. In fact, we work really hard as a church to try and help people to take that journey, the spiritual version of the journey, back towards their father. 
And uh, the way that we do it is actually through a thing called Alpha. Um, Alpha is a course. Uh, it's eight weeks long. Uh, it basically goes like this. Come and have a lovely meal. Come and sit with some nice people who also came along. Drink a glass of wine or a bottle of beer if you want to. Uh, watch a short movie, a 20-minute, 30-minute film, and then bring your questions, bring your discoveries, bring your doubts, bring your fears, bring the things that you believe, and get a chance to talk to other nice people who also came. Um, Alpha is not about us judging. It's not about us trying to convert you. It's not about us putting pressure or pretense. It's actually not a place even where we try and give you all the answers. It's a place to take a spiritual journey. And we know over the years that as people get this space to take a journey, that they can find the most beautiful answers to the question of, is there more to life than this? And actually, Alpha is launching in a few weeks' time. It launches on the 21st of September at 7 p.m. in the evening. And uh, we love Alpha because of the amazing opportunity that gives people to take spiritual journeys. And I just want to show you a quick film. Uh, this is a film which we made of one of uh, our last people who uh, did Alpha last semester, uh, just a few months ago. They weren't part of the church before they started. Uh, I think they probably wouldn't necessarily have called themselves a Christian before they started, but they were on a spiritual journey. Uh, and this is our friend Alex, and this was how he experienced Alpha recently. Hi, I'm Alex. My wife's name is Molly, and we have a daughter, and her name is Angelina. I've spent most of my career as a vice president of sales or sales and marketing. We reside or we live in Pasadena, California. I grew up in the Midwest. My parents were immigrants from Eastern Europe, and we went to the Russian Orthodox Church during that time when I was growing up, where I experienced uh, God and got to know God, as well as uh, Christianity, as well as, as Jesus Christ. Uh, later, as, as, as I grew older I, and, and, I needed, and I moved on in my life, I left the Midwest and I moved to California as part of my career, and I've been living here for many, many years. At the beginning of this year, the the time came that I needed to change or create new opportunities for myself, not only in my employment, but also in my life as well. Um, during this period of time, my wife introduced me to two people, Regis and Shirley. They were both members of the Vintage Church and they provided me with the opportunity to also attend, but also attend a, a series of uh, lectures or uh, called Alpha Series. It allowed me to start exploring the, those, those needs that were probably, or those opportunities, I, I can't explain it, what, what it really was when I started watching it and started uh, being there. It, it, it allowed me to, to revisit some thoughts and some some things from my when I was growing up, and it started kindling or started re, maybe relight the fire uh, in terms of something that I could uh, again uh, address today, which I have uh, not for many many years. Yes and no. I, I really came to it with no expectations. You know, I, I, when I did show up, uh, my wife went with me, and uh, and when I walked up, it was at someone's home. Uh, there was uh, several people already there. They were they were they were they were enjoying some drinks. There was some wine, and then I was told there's going to be a dinner as well, as well as and then the, uh, it was in the backyard, 
and, and there was tables set out, and then we were going to uh, watch a, the, the series on a video screen they had presented, which made me very comfortable, very relaxed, and very open. And when I, and when I talked to all the people there that were there, they were friendly, they were open, and they were inquisitive, and they were welcoming. What I got of Alpha was for myself was a um, a, a, a settling. Uh, I was I'm in a very I'm in a space right now that's quite different for me. Uh, it's a new reality. Uh, you know my employment. Do I continue my employment? I am still seeking that that area. But at the other time, it is what is my life about? And, and that's the real question I, I'm starting to address from going to Alpha. And, and it is, what is the question? What is it that I want at this time in my life? Uh, and maybe I should have asked that question earlier, okay? But uh, I, I, there's something more. And that's what has sent me on a journey now uh, for myself. Thank you, Alex. I think Alex is here somewhere. I haven't seen him, but he's, uh, he's around. Thanks, Alex, for doing that. Um, and, and we would just love you to come as well. Uh, Alex will tell you. You can go and chat to him after the service if you want to. Um, he got a huge amount out of the Alpha course. And uh, you don't have to commit to come for the whole eight weeks. You might just come for one week, drink a glass of wine, watch a video, and think, no, nope, that's OK. This for someone else, but um, we'd love to invite you to come. And the launch of it is going to be on the 21st of September at 7 p.m. You can sign up on our website. I'll tell you more. Alex will tell you more. Um, we would love to invite you to come. If you are new to the church and you just want to find out a bit more about the church and what we believe and what it's about, then come and do Alpha. Um, if you've never done Alpha, come and do Alpha. If you're just on a spiritual journey and you'd like to explore and take eight evenings out just to explore some of life's big questions, then come and do Alpha. So I think I've... I think I've